bringing hope to many around the globe, transforming lives into legacies. Live in Word with Pastor Mensah Otobiel. And now, today's word. So let's look at the process. Let's see how it works. Restlessness begins with discontent. Discontent. You cannot change a, comf- a condition you are comfortable with. If you are comfortable with it, you like it as it is, you can't change it. And don't just say, whatever my life is, I'm happy. I thank God for my life. Thank God for your life, but don't say, whatever my life is, I'm happy with it. Because sometimes you have to be restless. You have to move your neck. And you have to say, I am tired of this situation. I am tired of this situation and I'm not going to stay here anymore. Restlessness. May you become one of the restless ones. The blessing of restlessness. The blessing that says, I will not die in this place. Discontent. Discontent leads to questions. Discontent leads to questions. The quality of your questions will determine the quality of your answers. For the four lepers who were sitting by the gate of Samaria, they asked themselves the question, why sit we here and die? Why should we allow this to happen? The quality of your question. If you ask the question, for example, why are people doing this to me? Then it means that you have made other people the culprit. But if you ask the question, why do I allow this to happen to me? Then you are taking charge of your action. Because one thing you cannot change is people's attitudes. But you can change your action. Don't put the blame on somebody. You are responsible. You are in the mess because of choices you make. And don't go blaming somebody else. You are the architect of your own mess. Why sit we here and die? When you become restless, not your neighbor, not your father, not your mama, not your papa. When you. I remember when I started working, I was quite a young man. And there was a gentleman in my office, for some reason, I don't know why, maybe for his own insecurity or whatever, he used to call me small boy. For some reason. I mean, I'm employed just like him. We all earn salary. And he called me, I was the youngest staff member, but he called me small boy. And every time he called me, oh, small boy houses, small boy houses. You know, and you know, it really irritated me. It really irritated me, got me angry, but I was new to the office and he was my superior. He wasn't my boss, but he was superior to me. He was, I went to meet him. He was a bit older than me. And, and I think he was just trying to humiliate me. And he used to call me small boy all the time. Small boy, small boy, small boy. So after I've swallowed it for a while, I said, why sit I here with this thing? So one day I, I told him, I said, you know, 
I don't like the way you call me small boy. I don't like it. I'm not a small boy. I'm mature. I work here. I earn a salary just like you. And uh, you have no right to call me that. And I, I don't like it, so stop it. The guy was shocked. Because, you know, most Ghanaians, when you call them that, they, will be, they, will, they don't like it, but they'll be laughing. <laughs> you know? yeah. I say, oh. and, and, you know, somebody's humiliating you. He's breaking your spirit. And you are sitting there for your spirit to be broken. And then you go and say, I don't like the way he treats me. Why do you allow it? So I told him that. I, he changed, but he didn't change fully. <laughs> you, know, you know, bad habits. They are, it takes a long time to break. So once in a while, he would call me small boy. You know, he tried. I said, you have to call me by my... I'm, call me Mr. Otabel. I'm a Mr. Mr. Otabel. <laughs> but any time he made a slip and called me small boy... I would look at him with a very serious, a serious, uncompromising look. And he would say, oh, I'm sorry, 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 sorry. And, and then he would say, Mr. Otrebel. Well, over time, he, he called me Mr. Otrebel, but I, I think in his heart, he was still calling me small boy. <laughs> but at least I corrected his words. And then later, years later, I met him. You know, God has a sense of humor. It's just interesting the way God works the mathematics of life. I met this man. After he had called me small boy many years. I met him. I was preaching somewhere. And he was a member of that church. And after he came, he, he was called, oh, sir, oh, boss, oh, chief, oh, yeah. I, I, and I, I almost, and he was telling everybody. I work with this man. I work with him. Oh, when we were working together, he was a great man. And he was just testifying about me and calling me boss. <laughs> but I just uh, let him enjoy his day. I didn't rain on his parade. So I just said, it's okay. I, because something in me was saying, we're going to tell him, and you are calling me small boy. <laughs> but what the point I'm making is, you take responsibility for what happens to you. If you don't like it, say it. Why do you allow that to happen to you? Why do you allow people to speak to you the way they do? Why do you allow people to treat you like a doormat? And then you go into your room and cry and complain and then you come and smile. Aren't you ashamed of yourself? Isaac is saying to Esau, if you don't change your attitude, you will be under bondage forever. You have to get restless. And don't be restless against Jacob. Be restless against yourself. Because you sold the birthright. You made the mistake. It's not Jacob. It's you. And you can go blaming people. You take responsibility. The questions will produce new understanding. When you start asking the right questions, you're going to have new light. You're going to look at yourself from outside yourself. You're going to look at yourself from different perspectives. I don't know about you, but I always analyze myself. I do it all the time. And I ask myself, why do you do that? Why, why don't you do that? Why, why do you always have to behave in this way? Because... Sometimes I look at myself and I think, I'm, I need some major changes in my life. Because that comes with questing. 
If you're going to blame witches and wizards, you'll be poor for, for, for a long time. You're not poor because a wizard stole your money. Now, if they are stolen your money, at least they should get some dentures. They can't do it, so they are not the ones stealing your money. Don't blame that poor woman. She's trying to fix her teeth. You are broke because you are making bad choices. You have wrong spending habits. You take personal responsibility. That is what restlessness is all about. It's not fighting people, it's fighting you. That's what Isaac is telling Jacob to Esau. If you're going to spend your life being angry and marrying the wrong people because you're angry, that's your life. If you're going to spite other people and because of that you decide you're going to do ABC, that's your life. But it's not going to improve you. Questions produce new understanding. New understanding offers new options. When you ask the right questions, you see the problem from different angles. That will make you see that other ways of dealing with a situation are available. Instead of settling for only one solution, you can see it from different angles. You know, many times we feel boxed in and we think, oh, I have no option. I have no option. Mostly, most of the time in life, you have options. I'm not going to say every time, but most of the time, there are about two, three different ways you could handle a situation you are faced with. So don't just sit down and say, I have no option. You have option. New options will lead to new choices. And new choices will lead to new actions. And new actions will produce new results. So if you want new results, it all starts with restlessness. When you become restless. Sometimes we go through pain over and over and over. Because we never get to the point where we really want the result. A man called Batimius has sat by the road. He was a restless man. He's been blind for many years. And he heard Jesus was passing by. And he began to scream, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. People shut him down. And he decided, you can shut me down, but I choose not to shut down. You can tell me be quiet, but my choice is not to be quiet. And he continued screaming, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Eventually, Jesus stopped and opened his blind eyes. What if he had stopped crying? So somebody didn't give you a chance, and so what? So somebody said, you are not good, and so what? So your boss called you to the office and insulted you, so are you the only one who's been insulted? Uh, I won't go again. I'm resigning. You know the decisions people make? One day your boss calls you and just gives it to you. And then you say, I've quit. I've quit. And you don't know where the next meal is coming from. I've quit. And then you quit. And then Monday you are sitting at home. You have no job. You have no nothing. And you are broke. What kind of decision is that? New actions 
come from restlessness and restlessness is when you ask yourself the hard questions and when you begin to really move against the things that hold you so the question we want to ask is did Esau break the yoke did he break the yoke well when you read the biblical narratives you don't see much written about Esau because after he and Jacob depart, the story focuses on Jacob because Jacob is the one carrying the line of the Messiah. All much of the biblical narrative is about the one who is carrying the line of the Messiah up to Jesus. So since Esau is not the one, the story goes to Jacob. Nothing much is said about Esau. But we know that he becomes great. He has a princess coming out of him and all of that. But something very interesting happened when Esau meets Jacob. Remember, Isaac said, you'll be blessed with the, dew of, uh, with the fatness of the earth, the dew of heaven, you'll live by yourself, but you will serve your brother. Then the second part, when you become restless, you will break the yoke from your brother. So when they meet, we can tell whether the yoke is broken or the yoke is still there by whether who is serving who. So go with me quickly to Genesis chapter 32. This is about 20 years after Jacob and Esau parted. About 20 years after. Genesis 32 verse 3 to 6. Jacob is now returning. And as he's returning, he's going to pass through the land where Esau lives. I want you to follow this very carefully. Now Jacob is... He's going to meet Esau. We're going to see who is serving who, who is bowing to who, and who is the boss at this time. Watch this carefully. Genesis 32 verse 3 to 6. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Speak Thus to my Lord Esau, thus your servant Jacob says. So you can tell from this passage that at this time, Jacob does not see himself as a ruler over Esau. Jacob is calling Esau your Lord and calling himself servant. And says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. Now, I'm not sure whether it's just a Middle Eastern way for Jacob to try and seek favor, but the language is quite submissive. The man, the man is recognizing there is a balance of forces and it's not to his ad- disadvantage. Verse 6, then the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau. He also is coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. (laughs) Now that's not a story you want to hear from somebody who the last time you heard from him, he said, I'm going to kill you. 400 men. This is a man that has a prophecy on his head that he will live by the sword. That's his prophetic gifting. And he has 400 men. Now you don't know whether they are coming to encourage you. 
<laughs> or just take you away. So Jacob gets really scared at this time because he, he, he doesn't know what the future has. And if you read the story, rest of the story, there's a lot of bowing down from Jacob. So jump to chapter 33 from verse 1 to 3. Chapter 33, verse 1 to 3. It says, Now Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked. There Esau was coming. With him were 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. He put the maidservants and their children in front. Leah and her children behind, and Rachel and David and Joseph last. <clears throat> then he crossed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. So he divided them and then he went ahead and he's bowing seven times. So it seems at this time the yoke is broken. Don't you think so? It seems at this time Esau is not under Joseph any longer. So he's bowing seven times. Verse 4. That's the most fascinating part. But. Everybody say but. Now in, ja in Jacob's mind Esau is bitter. In Jacob's mind, Esau is angry. In Jacob's mind, Esau is broke. The last time he met him, he was broke, so he's now sending him gifts ahead of time. The last time he met him, he was angry, so he's trying to appease him. But, everybody say, but. Look at Esau. Look at him. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. Something has happened to Esau. Something has happened. He doesn't want to kill Jacob. The 400 men are not to kill Jacob. This man is a totally different man we met 20 years ago. Totally different. My supposition here is that he became what his father said he should become. He became restless, he broke the yoke, and he also prospered. Look at verse 5. Okay. And he lifted his eyes and saw the women and children and said, who are these with you? So he said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. I, this is Jacob, he's quite an interesting guy. <laughs> Then the maidservants came near, and they and their children bowed down. And Leah also came near with her children, and they bowed down. Afterward, Joseph and Rachel came near, and they bowed down. There's a lot of bowing, but it's only one directional. It's not bowing on both ends. Somebody is being bowed to. 20 years ago, he was told he would do the bowing. Now, he's not doing the bowing. And he was told by his father, the way not to bow is if he becomes restless. He will break that yoke and he will not bow to his brother the next time they meet. Somehow, 20 years later, he's not bowing. Rather, is the brother bowing. So something has changed in the life of Esau. Something has changed. Verse 8. Then Esau said, what do you mean by all this company which I met? And he said, these are to find favor in the sight of my Lord. 
verse 9. This is the icing on the cake. You know, when I read it, my heart says, ah. And Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. I just pray that God will bring you to that point where you can say one day, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Something has happened to Esau. He is a changed man. His life has changed. His priorities have changed. His attitude is changed. He is not the Esau who sold his birthright. He is not the Esau who was angry. He is not the Esau who was making silly decisions. This is a different Esau. What was their intervention? I believe, according to what Isaac said, he became restless. Not against Jacob. Esau began to realize, you know, it wasn't Jacob's fault. I was the foolish one. I was the one who threw away my birthright for a bowl of soup. I was the one hoping that my actions would not have any consequences. I had wrong attitude. I had wrong priorities. I gave him the permission to take my birthright from me. It's my fault. And I cannot blame him and be free. So I take personal responsibility. I believe that is what he did. And I believe that is what shifted his attitude. So the first thing you note about Esau is that he's no longer bitter. There's no bitterness. He sees Jacob and there's no bitterness. There's no, do you remember what you did the last time we met? Have you remembered? Now you are coming to see me again? Are you coming to steal my birthright again? No, he's running, he's kissing his brother. He's weeping. He says, hey, it's a good day. He's not bitter. There's no vengeance. There's no revenge. I pray God will bring you to that point where you see somebody who hurt you so bad in the past and you see him and you say, hello, how's it? Long time no see. It's good to see you again. Oh, you're looking great. I, I like your outfit. Wow. I like your shirt. I like your trouser. And here is somebody who stabbed you in the back. Or oh, that woman who stole your husband from you. You see them 20 years later. And you say, oh, you're looking great. This man is taking good care of you. Oh, look at the children. Oh, nice children. Because at that time, you are free from them. You're not making decisions based on them. You don't live your life thinking of taking vengeance on them. You're living your life and you're saying to them, me too, I've been blessed. I have enough. I have enough. The second thing you would note about Esau is that he's not intimidated by Jacob's wealth. He's not intimidated. He says, Jacob has oxen and donkeys I too I have oxen and donkeys he's comfortable I pray God will make you comfortable with other people's success even if they stabbed you in the back or they mistreated you because God will give you a thousand times more but if you live your life in their prison blaming them you will never be free you would never be free. Third thing you will see that he's not seeking for support. He's not begging for help. The last time 
we heard of him he's begging but now he's not begging the fourth thing he has enough he's been prosperous and he says I have enough my brother I have enough my brother keep what you have for yourself I just love that I just love that I just want you to, to, to come to the point where you will look at somebody who stole your land from you and you say I have enough or somebody you were fighting over a house with maybe your grandmother's one bedroom in a flooded area <laughs> you know the kinds of things people fight over the house is flooded but you're fighting hey, my great great grandfather and we are the firstborn and we are the ones who, who follow. The, the thing is flooded and you are in court fighting over a flooded house and because of that, you've imprisoned your potential because the only future you can see is in that house. And God says, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. I pray a time will come 20 years from now, you go to that family house and see that one bedroom flooded house. And you tell your brothers, it's good to see the house. I see you've painted it nice red. God bless you. But I have enough. I have enough. And people are talking, oh, we are sorry what we did 20 years ago when we sacked you from the house. He said, don't worry, keep it. It's, it's okay. God has blessed me. You see, when God blesses you, you don't, you don't want to impress people again. You, 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 you are okay. Even when they say sorry, you don't want to hear sorry. They say sorry, say, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's all right. They are feeling bad, but you're feeling good. Because that's what is happening now. Jacob is feeling bad. Esau is feeling good. Because his father says, when you become restless, today you must be part of the restless ones. The people who say, I will not stay in bondage. I would move. I would shake. I would, I would break this thing. And I will be the person that God wants me to be. At a larger level, this message also goes to Africa, to Ghana, to all of us. You know, sometimes I hear us talking about the colonialists, the imperialists, the neo-colonialists. Those who stole our land, they stole our gold, they stole our diamond, and they made money for themselves. They enslaved us. The money they have... It is our money. I know that is factual. But they didn't steal it by force. We gave them the land to take the gold. We gave them the land to take the diamonds. We sold our people for them to enslave. So whilst you're blaming them, take responsibility. And after all these years, have we learned any lesson? We have oil now. Are we treating it any differently? Because if you make somebody responsible for your actions, there will be no change on your part. You see yourself as a victim and you would never change. But the greatest change is when you get restless. Today, God wants you to get restless. 
There are yokes you must break from your neck. There are situations you must say, I made the mistake, but I will not make it any longer. I will be a different man. I'll be a different husband. I'll be a different wife. I'll be, I'll be different. I will not make the same mistakes again. That is the kind of restlessness that helped Esau. They parted. Eventually, Jacob prevailed, prevailed, and Esau said, okay, if you want me to take it, I'll take it, but I don't need it, but just to ease your conscience. But he didn't need it. That is the place God wants to bring us. Where the past doesn't hurt any longer. Where we look back at our lives, there are great mistakes we made, but they are not pursuing us into the future. We are not slaves to our past. We are not slaves to the pain of yesterday. You have enough. You have enough. Today I just want you to pray one intense prayer for one minute. And I want you to pray and say, God make me restless to break this yoke. I don't know what yoke it is, whatever it is. You say, Lord, I want to break this yoke. Not against somebody, but in my life, in my life. I'm breaking this yoke in my life. Thank you for listening to Living Word. To interact with Pastor Mensah Otebill, like his page on Facebook. Follow him on Twitter at Mensah Otebill. Email autobill at centralgospel.com or call plus 233-302-688-000.